This episode is sponsored by Katrina Burke Coaching, helping caring professionals create a life of balance and flow. Katrina has a range of programs available for teachers and school leaders. And for more information, head on over to katrinaburkecoaching.com.au. Katrina Burke Coaching, evolve, transform, thrive. This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, a weekly show to help you prioritize your health, happiness, and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane. Enjoy the podcast. Today's guest is Lisa Murray, the author of Living Beyond Burnout. Lisa had burnout three times, but in fact, the first time she didn't even know that what she was experiencing was burnout. She just thought she was a failure. She couldn't keep up at work. So we have a really interesting discussion about, you know, those stories that we tell ourselves and the way that um, those stories really impact our health and well-being. We talk about... um, the fact that we should talk about burnout more because it does tend to be a bit of a shameful secret that people, you know, don't talk about. She talks about the the importance of prevention versus cure, which I 100% agree with. Um, we talk about really getting to the source of what's causing the burnout rather than just treating symptoms um, and the way that, you know, we can experiment on ourselves to figure out what works for us because, as I always say, there is no one-size-fits-all when it comes to your health. We also talk a little bit about education. Now, I do just want to preface that with um, the fact that Lisa has not been a teacher in the classroom, so some of her um, suggestions I know will uh, probably trigger some people because I, I know even for myself I sometimes find when people who are, are not teachers or have never been a teacher in the classroom, sometimes the recommendations, um, it's easy to dismiss them because you think, well, what would you know? And certainly some of the um, conversation around, you know, how to make the classroom more fun, I know that for some teachers where they're at, that's going to feel like another pressure. Great. Now on top of all the things that I have to do, all the benchmarks I have to meet, all the paperwork, all the behavior management, I now also have to make it fun for the children, you know, and do a song and dance. If that's where you're at, just go into this um, interview with the awareness that you can take what works for you and leave the rest. Because the last thing that I want to do, and I'm sure the last thing Lisa wants for you as well, is to have the sense of fun become another thing on the to-do list. What I would want you to um, prioritize instead is looking at the the way that you can be creative in you know in the how. With what you have to do, you can still be creative in some of the how and find a way that works for you in the way to to deliver the lessons that you know that you have to deliver. So I just wanted to preface that because I know that that's something. It's certainly a conversation I've had on multiple occasions. The sense that there are just so many pressures in the classroom and so many. Um, so many people telling teachers what they should be doing in the classroom and how they should be running it. And Lisa herself acknowledges that, you know, she, um, she hasn't been a teacher, so she's 
um, coming at it from that outside perspective. So just be aware of that. I also want to preface that there are some audio issues in the first half of this podcast. I apologize for that. It was just because of some technical difficulties we had while we were recording. I can't actually edit any more than I have. So um, there's a little bit of a delay. You will hear it, especially in the first half of the episode, but it does kind of sort itself out by the end. All right. With that said, here's the interview with Lisa Murray, the author of Living Beyond Burnout. Hello, Lisa. Thanks for joining me on the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Hi, Ellen. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me to play with you all. I'm really excited. Can we start? I'd love to start with you sharing a bit about yourself and your background because I think you have a really interesting story that uh, my listeners will want to hear. Yeah, sure. So I had burnout three times. The first time when I was 27 and the last time uh, just before I was 40. And yeah, I know, right? And the thing is, the first two times I didn't know it was burnout. Like I just thought basically I wasn't coping and that I was a failure. No one ever said to me, you know, there's actually something else going on here. And it wasn't till the third time when literally my short-term memory went, I couldn't put a coherent sentence together. I couldn't stay out of bed. I was like, oh, this is a bit more than I'm a failure. I'm not doing my job very well, you know. And um, interestingly enough, my doctor tried to get me to, oh, yeah. And like, and other people told me as well. You know, because burnout wasn't something that was talked about. And I think this is something, I'm so glad you've got this podcast and that you're talking about this because, you know, this was like nine years ago and literally Mm. it was not a conversation people had in public. And I think it really is time to bring it, you know, out of the cupboard and into the open in such a way that people actually know they're heading towards it. So then you can actually get into prevention rather than, you know, getting to the extreme end of it and having to find your way back. Yes, absolutely. Um, I could not agree more because... I also think it's something that, you know, we tell ourselves these stories that I'm a failure. It's, you know, it's me. I'm the problem. I'm just not coping. I should work harder. And that actually, actually makes the situation worse. Um, So by talking about it, hopefully, yeah, as you say, we can try and prevent it because we'll we'll catch it sooner. Um, You have just released a book about burnout called Living Beyond Burnout. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Oh, look, I would love to. You know, this is the book I tried not to write. Mm-hmm. And because um, <laughs> like, you know, honestly, once I got better, like once I felt well again, I didn't want to think about burnout. And what I didn't realize was that most people live with it as a life sentence. Like it's literally this thing where for the rest of their lives, they run around being careful of their energy. And for me, that hasn't been the case. And it was probably only in the last 12 or 18 months that I realized, oh, I'm different to most people and how I've actually gone about this. And so the book is very much, um, it's, it's really a, a way forward that is not about just treating the symptoms. Because what I see a lot of people doing and what I initially tried to do was treat the symptoms. But of course, for many people, that just means you put yourself into a recurrent thing because you've never actually gone to the source of what's creating it and made the changes there. And so the book has been really, it's actually ended up being a really fun project to work on because 
I, I realized that, oh, I've actually got a model here of how I got through this and how I, you know, started living in a totally different way. And so it was very interesting to actually sort of put that all together and see that there is a process there that wasn't just, it wasn't just this random collection of choices that I thought I'd made. And so I'm really excited for the book to be in the world because I feel like it's just another step in that thing of getting this as a topic that is talked about everywhere, you know, and throughout the book, I've really invited people, you know, have these conversations with your team, have these conversations with your manager. Don't let this be this sort of shameful secret that stops you from actually being everything you can be. So if there was, um, I, you know, obviously it's a whole book and people should read the book and we're going to give them a link at the end. Um, <laughs> but if there was maybe some symptoms that you would want people to be really particularly on the lookout for if they thought they were experiencing that, they should really go and do something about it. What would those be? What would be your, um, I suppose, the big warning signals for you? Yeah, look, you know, I think if people are chronically tired, then they're, you know, that, that thing of having a lack of energy, that is something to look at and go, well, what's really going on here? Because what I've noticed is like, since I've made myself well again, and, you know, I am running, well, it's technically speaking one business, but it's got a lot of moving parts and a lot of different things. I've been traveling overseas a lot. I've been doing all these different things and I don't get tired that often if I'm actually managing my energy well. And if I am living in the space of what I know actually works for me. And often I think that tiredness is literally you're tired of the life you've got and it's time to create a new one. And a lot of people are like, oh, but I like my life how it is. And I was that person, let me say, you know, like I had acupuncturists and naturopaths and all sorts of people saying, well, Lisa, you're going to have to change something. I'm like, but I like my life. And <laughs> the funny thing about that was that life was a really kind of drab, miserable life compared to the one I've got now. You know, I just didn't know there was something much greater available. And so, yeah, my thing is that it's tiredness is one of the big things, that chronic tiredness where it doesn't matter how much sleep you get, you still don't feel rested. That I think in terms of symptoms and like, you know, getting a bit of a, a subtle sort of early warning, that's a huge one. Because I was tired like for years, but I just thought it was normal. And it's not normal. That's what I know now. Yeah, well, and I think so many people have chronic tiredness. You know, I personally had actually chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, when I was at university. And certainly at that yeah. stage, I mean, I was very unwell. But there were some people that would say to me, oh, look, everybody's tired all the time, Ellen. Uh, you know, yeah, but people can get out of bed. People don't, you know. Yeah collapse in a heap for days on end after they've yeah. done the slightest amount of exercise. There is a difference there. But as you say, that chronic just tiredness all the time that people think is normal, where you're still functioning, but you're just exhausted. Mm. That's not actually normal. It's not, it's common, but it, it's not healthy. No. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a big difference between common and normal. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is like, for me, it's like if you haven't got an enthusiasm for life, you know, if there's something where you're just dragging yourself around day after day after day, that really is the point to go, okay, what if I just put a big fat circuit breaker in here and what do I need to change that will actually allow this to be different? 
Mm. And, you know, I think a lot of the book for me and a lot of what I've developed through different programs over the years has been looking at that question of, well, what can I be or do different that would allow this to change? Because we're, we're so um, caught up in the normal ways of living, mm. you know, the way everyone lives. And yet for the vast majority of us, those ways don't actually work anymore. You know, they were sort of thought up back, you know, in the time of Henry Ford and sort of very, you know, mechanistic way of working. Yeah. And, you know, the research is that, for example, people who work in offices, they should only do a six-hour day, nothing to do with eight-hour days, let alone, you know, the 10-plus hours that most people seem to end up doing. Yeah. And so I just think there's so much to look at with all of this in terms of, creating a different way forward. I really like that because one of the, one of the messages that I um, talk about a lot on this podcast and, you know, with my clients is that, yes, there are, there are certain systemic things about, you know, your job or your life that are, that is the way they are and you can't necessarily change some of them. But there are a lot that you can change and certainly within teaching, there are some structures that are fixed. You know, the school day, you can't change mm. the hours of the yeah. school day. Yeah. Um, However, yeah. for example, if you have marking to do of, you know, assignments or report cards to write, there's usually a fair amount of flexibility as to when actually you write that. It doesn't have to be at a set time. And that's actually wonderful. There's a, there's a lot of times where people think, oh, well, everyone else seems to be staying up late doing them. Um, so I'll do that too. But it, it, it was a while before, you know, it was a couple of years into teaching before I realised that actually if I got up earlier and did my mm. marking early in the morning, I was more efficient and also there was nobody else at school, so I didn't get any distractions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I actually was, you know, because I was alert, it was a more enjoyable process and I wasn't staying up late. It was just better all round. So, I mean, there are loads of ways that we can do things differently, but it just requires that sort of lateral thinking sometimes. What would be some of the tips you would give people? You know, is there a key takeaway from your book? I, mean, I know you can't sum up a book in one <laughs> answer no it's it's not that kind of book no No. literally it's like open up a page and read that page or those few words for today you know and you'll get something new every time but look what I think I'd like to say is that and what you've touched on there is is the creativity in how you do things where you don't have a choice about what you're doing like you know in terms of your job, for example, start being creative in the how. Because what I realized for me was that I had run out of creative energy as well because I was literally, you know, working 10 or 12 hour days and doing 10 or 12 meetings a day, most days. And it obviously there was just no space for that creative downtime that allows you to actually be really awesome at your job. Because we, we aren't, human doings we're human beings and and you need to find ways to have that space where you can bring a creative energy to what you're doing and you know it might be just in the way you present a lesson you know what if you made it fun for you and fun for the kids (laughs) like you know for me when because I've done a lot of teaching um, and facilitation over these last few years and I always looked at, well, well, how would this be fun for me? You know, how can I actually create this in a way that would be fun for me and fun for the people that I'm teaching? Because then you actually get this thing where people become energized. And I also do look at that. I look at, well, if I wanted people to feel energized from this, what would have to be included? You know, and sometimes it's movement. Sometimes Mm. it's 
you know, a, a way of asking questions that may be different to the normal. There's all sorts of really, what I call the small subtle things. Because, you know, within the course of a lesson, there's probably a hundred small tiny choices that you get to make. And mm, it's like how least. many of those can you use to turn it into something? Really, yeah, exactly. There's probably a heap more. I'm, you know, picking a wild number. But it's like how many of those can you use to actually create something that's really joyful? And like I think for all of us, if we look back at when we went to school and the teachers that we enjoyed the most, you know, like I had an economics teacher um, and I loved her so much because she came up with this whole little sort of coding system so that we could take our notes really quickly and easily and she would move through the lesson really fast because she'd given us a system so we could go that fast with her and then in the second half of the lesson, we could choose anything from the newspaper and she would talk about it and what the economics of it meant. And it was fantastic. I learned so much. And it was this real world application of something that could have been a very dry subject. And she loved that class and we loved that class, you know. And so I think there's this thing where if we really want to engage people and allow them to be energized by what we're offering, it's also about how we play with them and I use the word play very deliberately because you know it's often said that kids go to school and then they lose that kind of spontaneous creative play energy of play that they've had you know until they were five or six and my question is well what would it be like if we actually encourage that through every class and every year imagine the kinds of adults that would come out of that and I think you know on that note a lot of teachers have actually gone to school themselves in that system where there wasn't a lot of play encouraged it was very serious and mm. you had to you know meet yeah. the benchmarks then they've yeah. gone to uni where again there's lots of benchmarks and there's not a lot of play and yeah. there's not a lot of flexibility and then they've gone back into the classroom but now as the as the teacher and it it's it's something that we don't even almost realize that we've lost um and especially if we're not you know i think it's it's there are some subjects obviously i taught music that was a lot more easy to bring a bit of play in yeah. like it didn't require that much thinking to, to make it a bit more of a fun lesson most of the time somewhere in the lesson obviously yeah. grade nine maths where the kids are tired and it's friday afternoon and nobody wants to do maths <laughs> you know in a bad mood that's a little bit more difficult but it doesn't mean it's impossible and it's about you know picking your battles, I think sometimes picking your, yeah. your creative moments, but it's also about mm. that creativity of, well, I have to do this. I have to do this, but how I do it is up to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, this applies not only in the classroom, but it applies through your entire life. Yeah. You know, and for me, like I've come up with a lot of different ways over the years for how I live best. And when I say live best, that includes my work. And it's literally this thing of, well, how do I get it all to flow in ways that work really well for me? You know, and even when I'm crazy busy, there's still not stress in there. Like there would have been a time when like right now I would have been so stressed. And I, I mean, I've got a lot going on, but I'm not stressed. I'm like, oh, well, what's next and what's next? And I'm just allowing the flow to be there. And it's like um, being willing to actually have what I call the universe and you call it what you want, but the universe contribute to you. And for me, it's like being like water. You basically go where the flow is. Mm. You know, you allow yourself to go the easiest paths because so often we get really caught up in proving our worth by going through the most complicated convoluted paths. Oh, yeah. And often, 
adding a little bit of simplicity and really is magic, you know? Yeah, that really speaks to me, especially having grown up with a bit of a Protestant work ethic mindset, you know, that if oh, yeah. it feels good, it must be wrong, <laughs> which is not actually true uh, in all situations. And we yeah. say there is, an, there is often uh, an, uh, a way that we're doing something that's maybe more difficult, making it more difficult than it has to be. And sometimes it is because, oh, well, that's just the way I've always done it. But sometimes it's because, yeah, we're trying to prove ourselves. And I know that's something that early career teachers really struggle with a lot because they are also, you know, early in their career, they're new, they're wanting to make sure that they're um, doing a good job because whenever anyone starts a new thing, there's always that imposter syndrome feeling of, gosh, am I, you know, yeah. am I allowed to do this? Am I good enough to do this? But then they're also often dealing with insecure work contracts and things. So they're trying to make sure that they get a contract offered for next term. And there, there's a lot of that, that sense of um, having to prove worth and I and I think that that's perpetuated again by our school system with the benchmarks that we've got to meet certain benchmarks and you know so our names don't get a school name doesn't get put in the courier mail for the wrong reason um it's it's very there's a lot of that that goes around and I'm glad that you mentioned that you know what we're allowed to sometimes choose the easy way choose the way that feels good Mm -hmm. yeah totally and you know like really, I mean, my question is what would it take for the things like, you know, yeah, the wrong things being put in the career mail to change? Because I think this whole system of measurement that we've got, I know this is slightly off topic, but mm. I'm starting to just put this out there, you know, for the world to begin to change. It's like the systems of measurement that we have aren't actually always measuring truly what needs to be measured. And they're, they're really not a measure of success in later life in many ways. And my sense is it's like, you know, when I look at the teachers that were the greatest contribution to my life, it wasn't the ones who were dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's and making sure we learned our stuff in the right time and the right way. It was the ones who were generous and creative and playful and funny and, mm. you know, the ones who actually didn't take it so seriously. And it's really interesting, but, you know, I'm, you know, not almost 50 and that someone put up a photo um, from our grade, about grade one or two class the other week. And I was just like, oh, please, people, why are you doing that? But what was so interesting was there was an American exchange teacher in that photo and everyone's energy and conversation went to her and how marvellous she was because she would take us outside under the trees and sing us songs and teach us things and she just had this really beautiful free-flowing energy and like all this time later what do we remember her and the other teacher who was our teacher for the whole year barely got a mention you know yeah and I think this is the the gift of teaching that people go into it for and it's like what would it take to start bringing those little tiny elements of it back it doesn't mean you have to do that all of the time but I feel like kids will learn more if they're going to get rewards like that you know maybe I'm wrong but I think too that they're um there isn't, there is definitely a sense with a lot of teachers that I speak to, and maybe it's just because of who I'm talking to, you know what I mean? But um, definitely a sense that a lot of teachers want to be a lot more free than the, the system allows them, or, or we, you know, we know the things, the bench, some of the benchmarks are just absolutely, you know, over the top and pressure that's put on the yeah. kids. And we think, gosh, for goodness sake, this isn't going to matter in three years' time, honey. Like, mm-hmm. stop crying yeah. about your 
you like you know one assignment that you think is going to ruin your entire future work yep. prospects like that we a lot of uh, certainly it was something a conflict that I felt and a lot of teachers that I speak to also feel this that conflict between um what we uh, what the system sort of has us do in the benchmarks yeah. and the standardized testing and things versus wanting to be um wanting to be that loving and generous teacher and, and there's a the conflict there um with the values really yeah. and I think I guess the message that I would say is that um it's very empowering to just to realize yes we maybe can't change some of some of those expectations that we just have to do but it's really empowering to know we can make some of those small choices you know a hundred small choices in the classroom to do something in a manner that fits within our values Mm. and that actually is going to make it the experience more enjoyable for us and that's going to translate to the students as well yeah it is and I actually think it's those things that people remember it's you the know, small it's things. Those things that truly make the difference. Yeah. And, you know, one simple way forward with that is literally just to write a list of 50 or 100 simple, simple things that you could choose or do to actually just bring a bit more of that joy into the process. Because mm. I get that, you know, yes, there are lots of rules and there are lots of requirements. And also, though, you know, one thing I've done in pretty much all of my jobs, I, I was always pushing the boundaries of, well, you know, does this rule, how can I get around it? How can mm. I make it better for people? And I can see this real pattern there of trying to find ways to bring more life into things and to, you know, bring a sense of possibilities into things rather than always being, yep, let's just follow the rules and mm. it's all very serious. And mm. yeah, you know, and like, I mean, I don't want to tell your teachers how to do their jobs because, you know, I've never been a teacher in your situation, but what I would say just in, you know, a lot of the conversations I've had over these last few years with people is there's always, there's always ways forward. Mm. And it is the, the, the boundary pushes that actually create the future. And my sense of it is, is like, well, what, you know, how much of your burnout and how much of your exhaustion is trying to fit into boxes that actually don't fit anyone, not teachers, yeah. nor students, and then what are the boundaries where you can start to actually push them a little bit and find other ways forward? You know, I always, because um, I've worked a lot, like I worked in a hospital for a while and mm -hmm. I worked um, in a research institute. And you know how everybody's very obsessed with this sort of evidence-based, you know, ways forward. Mm. And I always used to look at them in wonder because to me, someone had to do that experiment in the beginning. Someone had to be the one who went out of the limb and tried something totally different before it became evidence-based. That's so and true. Yeah, you know, and it, it, I, I used to watch people not see that and it, it just used to just like scramble my brain really, you know, because it's like, wow, well, who were the experimenters? And what if you can be one of those people and, you know, what can you bring to the table through that sort of philosophy? Mm. and experiment on yourself because oh, not everything absolutely. works for everyone you know i always say yes. it's not a one size fits all so experiment yes. on yourself and see what actually does work for you yeah absolutely and the other thing i think it's really important also is to if you're experimenting and something works share it with people like mm. i know there's lots of forums for teachers where they can have conversations and things share the things that make a difference so that 
over time, what happens is there becomes this whole thing of people supporting other people, you know, and actually having ideas that you can share in ways that mean you're not thinking of all of it yourself. You yeah. know? And this is actually how that experimental phase of evidence-based practice actually works. And yeah. I just think people forget that. And it's very easy to get into the thing of, oh my gosh, well, I'm stuck here and I can't do anything and it's all just rules. And what I know, because I've done it over and over in all sorts of different jobs and different environments, is there's always a way through the rules if you yeah. want to find it. You know? And I love your suggestion to collaborate, you know, and share the ideas because obviously two heads are better than one. And I would say if you're listening to this and you think you've got a great idea, um, come and share it with us and I will start a post specifically about that, that 50 or 100 ways. Well, let's crowdsource it, you know. Let's not try and come up with the 50 ways ourselves. Let's bounce the ideas off each other and we'll start a post about that and a thread and um, start sharing that. And also if, if you're listening and you think you've got some really great ideas that are really working for you and you really want to share them with a wider audience, feel free to hit me up to come on the show because I'd love to share your story on the podcast if you're listening and you feel like you've got some of these great tips like Lisa's talking about uh, that other teachers could benefit from too. Um, well, this has been great, Lisa. I always ask all my guests because I think there's no one size fits all ever, but I'd love to know what well-being means to you. How do you know when you've achieved well-being in your own life? Oh, I love that question. Look, for me, it's about kindness to self. It's about literally knowing that what I'm choosing is going to create more for not only me, but for other people as well. Mm. So it's this space where it's inclusive and it's, it's not based on um, achievement. It's based on kindness and possibilities. And so and really when I have that, I have energy, I have happiness, I have all those other things, you know. So for me, it's just that. And it's not about eating the right foods or getting enough sleep or all the things people talk about. It's about really being present with yourself and kind to yourself and allowing the real you to show up. Because mm. when you do that, you know, you don't spend all that energy trying to keep a lid on who you really are. Yeah. And I think when you do, in my experience, when I do that, the eating and the sleeping and all those other things tend to be a follow-on effect anyway. Yeah, they do, naturally. Mm. Um, so what would be, just to wrap up, what would be your top three tips for, you know, first-year or early career teachers who are maybe feeling well currently, um, then, you know, they're not mm -hmm. feeling at the moment uh, burnt out and they're yeah. loads of energy. Um, what would be your top three tips to them to maintain that and to, you know, set themselves up for a thriving career? Yeah, oh, great question. So the first thing I would say is um, really tapping into your creative energies and finding all the different ways you can express that in your work. Because when you have that, what I notice is people rarely ever actually end up exhausted because it's the non-expression of your creative energies that actually is exhausting. Mm. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to be playful with your students. Like, it's like if you enjoy them and they enjoy you, it's a totally different energy to, you know, being that person who's making them do things they don't want to do. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is literally not to take yourself too seriously, mm. to, to allow for a bit of spontaneity, you know, allow for laughter, allow for enthusiasm and literally know that it does not matter what you choose. You can 
always have a life you desire to have. You know, like so often I think when you're in your 20s, you think that it's all make or because, you know, you're told for years on end, these are the big choices of your life and it's make or break. And really, you know, I've totally reinvented my life when I was 40. And I'm probably going to totally reinvent it again now that I'm 50. And I'm really excited about that, you know. And so it's like, what if you're just present in the moment and could really just enjoy creating your life as much as you can in what's available to you right now without worrying about the next 10 or 20 years? Because actually it will take care of itself. I love that. But you, you're right. We And Again, most of us in the school system, at least the one people that I talk to, um, have have exactly taken that message on because then certainly in high schools, we have to dole that out to the kids we're talking to as well. You've got to get the right scores at the end of grade 12 so that you can get into the right university, so that you can get the right job, so that you can make the right decision for the rest of your life tomorrow. It is like that. So I love yeah. that. It's a really good tip. Yeah. Just, just step back, be here where you are right now. Don't yeah. worry about the next 20 years. In, you find the ways to enjoy now. Yeah, you can't actually make a choice for 20 years in the future. You make a choice, you make your choices in the now. Mm. And literally when people really get that, they realise that they have unlimited choice, but it always starts right now. Well, that's a perfect place to wrap this up. Thank you, Lisa. Can you tell us where we can find you if we want to follow yeah. you and, uh, and get sure. a copy of your book, Living Beyond Burnout? I can. Thank you, Ellen. Um, yeah. So livingbeyondburnout.com is where you'll get the book. And if you want to look at my sort of broader work and the other things I do, creative alchemy with an I at the end.com will find all my, the rest of my stuff and you'll find all my social media links and things there as well. Beautiful. And I'll put those links in the show notes as well. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. I'd love it also if you would leave a rating and review in iTunes and share it with your friends. This really helps the podcast reach more people and together we can spread the message of teacher wellbeing to create thriving school communities. Show notes for this episode can be found at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. You can also find me at facebook.com forward slash selfcareforteachers and on Instagram my handle is at selfcareforteachers. So come along and follow me there. 